Hi, this week on Red Astray, I am going to be reading the 8th and ninth chapters of the first Keeper of the Lost Cities book by Shannon Messenger. Chapter 8. Sophie needed to pass. She wanted the proper education Fitz had mentioned. She wanted to learn how the world really worked. So, she closed her eyes, trying to relax enough to concentrate. She reached out for... With her mind, like she had the day before, Bronte's mind felt different from Fitz's. Deeper, somehow. Like she was stretching her mental shadow much further. And when she finally felt his thoughts, they were more like an icy gust than a gentle breeze. You're thinking that you're the only one at the table with any common sense, she announced. And you're tired of watching Kenrick stare at Orly. Bronte's jaw fell open and Kenrick's face turned red as his hair. Orly looked down at her plate, her cheeks flushing pink. I take it that's right? Alden asked, hiding his smile behind his hand. Bront nodded, looking angry, churned, and incredulous all at the same time. How can that be? An ancient mind is almost impenetrable. The key word in that sentence is almost, Alden reminded him. Don't feel bad. She also breached Fitz's blocking. Guilt tugged at Sophie's conscious as she watched Fitz flush red. Especially when Bront grinned and said, Sounds like Alden's golden boy isn't as infallible as everyone thinks. It's more like Sophie, more likely that Sophie is exceptionally skilled, Alden corrected. <clears throat> Fitz also saw her lift more than ten times her weight with telekinesis yesterday. You're kidding! Kenry gasped, recovering from his embarrassment. At her age? Now that I have to see. Sophie shrank in her chair. But I don't know how I did it. It just sort of happened. Just relax, Sophie. Why not try something small? Alden pointed at the crystal goblet in front of her. That didn't sound too hard, and maybe it was like her telepathy. Another sense she had to learn how to use blah. How to use. She replayed the incident, remembering the way she found the strength deep inside and pushing it out through her fingers. Could she do that again? She raised her arm and imagined lifting the golden goblet with an invisible hand. Nothing happened for a second, and her palms started to sweat. Then something pulled in her stomach, and the glass floated off the table. Sophie stared at the goblet in wonder. I did it! That's it. <laughs> Bronx scoffed, unimpressed. He needed more. Seriously? Give her a second. She's still getting used to her ability. Alden put his hand on her shoulder. Take a deep breath, relax, then see what else you can do. And remember, your mind has no limitations, unlike your physical body. Alden's calm com confidence gave her the courage to try harder. She tried to think about the clue he was giving her. No limitations. What did that mean? Maybe she could lift more than one thing at once. She blew out her breath, pretending she had five more imaginary hands to extend. The tug in her gut felt sharper, but it was worth it when the other five goblets rose like crystal flying saucers. Kenrick applauded. Excellent control! Her cheeks grew warm with praise. With the praise. Thanks. Bronx snorted. It's a couple of glasses. I thought she was supposed to be able to lift ten times her body weight. Sophie bit her lip. She wasn't sure how much more she could handle, but she was determined to impress Bront. She must be stronger than she realized. How else could she stop the lantern? 
She took another deep breath and shoved every ounce of force she could feel in her port towards the empty chair next to Braun. A collective gasp rang in the air as three chairs floated off the ground, including the one Braun sat on. Incredible, Alden breathed. Sophie didn't have time to celebrate. Her stomach cramped from the strain and her hole broke. She screamed as the goblets shattered against the table and the chairs crashed to the floor, knocking Bront flat on his back with a thunderous collision. For a second, no one said anything. They just stared open mouthed, in open-mouthed shock. But then, but when Bront hollered for someone to help him up, everyone burst into a fit of laughter. Except for Sophie. She dropped one of the counselors. She was pretty sure she'd sealed her future with that mistake. Kenrick clapped her on the back, pulling her out of her worries. I've never seen such natural talent. You're even a natural at our language. Your accent is perfect. Almost as perfect as these guys. He pointed at Alden and Fitz. I'm sorry, what? She asked, assuming she'd heard him wrong. Fitz laughed. You've been speaking the enlightened language since we leaped here. Just like you did yesterday. She was speaking a different language? With an accent? Our language is instinctive. Alden explained. We speak from birth. I'm sure people thought you were an interesting baby, though to humans our language sounds like babbling. Her parents were always teasing her about what a noisy baby she was. She grinned at the table. Is there a word that sounds like soybean in English? Soybean. Soybean? Alden asked. I used to say it as a baby. My parents thought I was trying to say my name and mispronouncing it. They even turned it into a nickname. A really annoying one. She blushed when Fitz chuckled beside her. I can't think... Kenrick shrugged. I can't think what that would be. Fitz and Orly nodded, but Alden looked pale. What is it? Rod asked him, still dusting off his cape from his fall. Alden waved the words away. Probably nothing. I'll decide if it's nothing, Bront insisted. Alden sighed. It's possible. It's possible, she was saying. Soldrine, but it's a stretch. Bront's mouth tightened into a hard line. What does soldrine mean? Sophie asked. Alden hesitated before he answered. It's the proper name for a moonlark, or a rare species of bird. And that's bad because she hated the way everyone was looking at her. Like, she was a puzzle they couldn't solve. Adults were always looking at her that way. But usually she could hear their thoughts and know what they were. And know why they were so bothered. She missed that now. It's not bad. It's just interesting, Alden said quietly. Bronx nodded. Troubling is what it is. Why would it be troubling? Sophie asked. It would be an uncomfortable coincidence, but most likely you were trying to say your name. You were hearing it all the time, so it's natural that you would try to repeat it. Alden said, like he was trying to convince himself as much as her. Well, well, I think I've heard quite enough to make my decision, Bront barked, shoving all thoughts of moonlarks out of her mind. I vote against, and you will not convince me otherwise. She held her breath as all eyes turned orally for the final... Kenrick shook his head. You're being absurd, Bront. I vote in favor, and you won't convince me otherwise. She held her breath as all eyes turned to Orly for the final vote. 
Orly hadn't said a word the entire time, so Sophie had no idea where she stood. Give me your hand, Sophie, Orly said in a voice as fragile and lovely as her face. Orly's an impa, Fitz explained. She can feel your emotions. Sophie's arm shook as she extended her hand. So Orly grasped it, grasped it with a delicate touch. I feel a lot of fear and confusion, Orly whispered, but I've never felt such sincerity, and there's something else. I'm not sure I can describe it. She opened her huge azure eyes and stared at Sophie. You have my vote. Alden clapped his hands together with a huge grin. That settles it, then. For now, Bronk corrected. This will be revisited. I'll make sure of it. Alden's smile faded. When? We should wait till the end of the year. Give Sophie some time to adjust, Kenrick announced. Excellent. Alden agreed. Fools, Bronk grumbled. I invoke my already senior counselor to demand a probe. Alden rose with a nod. I planned as much. I've arranged to bring her to Quinlan as soon as we're done, he we're done here. Sophie knew she should probably celebrate, but she was too busy trying to decipher the word probe. That didn't sound like fun. What's a probe? She asked Fitz as Alden led everyone else out of the room. Fitz leaned back in his chair. Just a different way to read your mind. It's no big deal. Happens all the time when you're in telepathy training. Which it looks like you'll be. I can't believe you passed. It looked really iffy there for a moment. I know, she sighed. Why did Bronk demand a probe? Because he's a pain. Well, that, and I think he's worried that my dad couldn't read your mind. Worried? I guess maybe bothered is a better word. My dad's really good, and so am I. He flashed a cocky smile. So, if we can't read your mind, it's kind of like, who can? Okay, she said, trying to make sense of what he was saying. But why does he care if no one can read my mind? Probably because of your upbringing. She took a deep breath, reluctant to say the next words. You mean the fact that my family's human and I'm not? A second passed before he nodded. Emptiness exploded inside her. So it wasn't a mistake. She really wasn't related to her family. And Fitz knew. He wouldn't look at her, and she could tell he was uncomfortable. She choked down the pain, saving it for later, when she'd be able to deal with it in private. She cleared her throat, trying to sound normal. <clears throat> what? Why would that concern him? Because it's never happened before. The warm, bright room felt suddenly colder. Never? No. It was a tiny word, but the implications it carried were huge. Why was she living with humans? Before she could ask, Alden swept back into the room. Sophie, why don't you come with me and we'll get you something else to wear. You'd better get changed too, Fitz. She hesitated. She should probably make them take her home. Her parents had to know by now that she ditched school. Then again, she was already in trouble. Might as well stall the punishments as long as possible. Plus, she wasn't ready to go home yet. She needed more answers. Where are we going? She asked as she followed Alden out of the room. Alden smiled. How would you like to see Atlantis? Chapter 9 
This is Atlantis? Sophie couldn't quite hide her disappointment. They were in the middle of nowhere, on a patch of dark rocks surrounded by white-capped waves. The only sign of life were a few seagulls, and all they did was screech and poop. It was hardly the lost continent she'd expected. This is how we get to Atlantis. Alden corrected as he stepped across the tide pool toward a triangular rock. Atlantis is underneath us, where light can't reach. We can't leap there. It was hard not to slip on the slick rocks as she followed Fitz, especially in the red shoes Alden insisted she wear to match the long gown. She begged to wear pants, but apparently it was a sign of status for a girl to wear a gown, especially in Atlantis, which Alden explained was a noble city, which meant members of the nobility had offices there. The empire waist and fat beaded neckline of her dress made her feel like she was wearing a costume. It was even stranger seeing Fitz in elven clothes, a long blue tunic with elaborate embroidery around the edges and slender pockets sewn up into his sleeves, the exact same size as the Pathfinder. Black pants with pockets at the ankles so he didn't have to sit on the stuff he carried, he'd explain, and black boots completed the look. No sign of tights or pointy shoes, thankfully. But he looked more like an elf now, which made everything more real. A rock moved under her foot, and she fell into Fitz's arm. Sorry, she whispered, knowing her face was as red as her dress. Fitz shrugged. I'm used to it. My sister, Bianna, is clumsy too. She wasn't sure she liked the comparison. So, Atlantis really sank? She asked, changing the subject as she followed him to the ledge to a ledge high above the water. The ancients engineered the, the catastrophe. Alden answered. He opened a secret compartment in the side of the strange rock, revealing hundreds of tiny glass bottles, grabbed one, and joined them on the ledge. How else would humans think we disappeared? Sophie glanced at the label on the bottom, on the bottle. One whirlpool, open with care. Step back. Alden uncorked the top and flung the bottle into the ocean. A huge blast of wind whipped around their faces, and the roar of churning water filled the air. Ladies first, Alden shouted, pointing at the edge. I'm sorry, what? Maybe you should go first, Dad, Fitz suggested. Alden nodded, gave a quick wave, and jumped. Sophie screamed. Fitz laughed beside her. Your turn. He dragged her toward the edge. Please tell me you're joking, she begged as she tried and failed to pull away. It looks worse than it is, he promised. She gulped, staring at the maelstrom swirling beneath her. Cold, salty water sprayed her face. You seriously expect me to jump? I can push you if you prefer. Don't even think about it. Better jump then. I'll give you to the count of five. He stepped toward her. One. Okay, okay. She wanted to keep what little dignity she had left. She took a slow, deep breath, closed her eyes, and stepped off the edge, screaming the whole way down. It took her a second to realize she wasn't drowning, and another after that to stop flailing around like an idiot. She opened her eyes and gasped. The whirlpool formed a tunnel of air, dripping and weaving through the dark water like the craziest water slide ever. She was actually starting to enjoy the ride when she launched out of the vortex in onto an enormous sponge.
It felt like being licked from head to toe by a pack of kittens. Minus the kitten breath. Then the sponge sprang back, leaving her standing on a giant cushion. Her hand froze as she smoothed her dress. I'm not wet. The sponge absorbs the water when you land. Incoming! Alden yanked her out of the way as Fitz rocketed onto the sponge right where she'd been standing. She jumped off the sponge to the slightly squishy ground. It felt like packed wet sand. Now this is Atlantis, Alden gestured to the gleaming metropolis ahead of them. Sophie's eyes felt like they had to stretch to take it all in. The city was wrapped in a dome of air which faded into the ocean beyond. Twisted crystal towers soared into the skyline, bathing the silver city with a soft blue glow radiating from their pointed spires. The building lined an intricate network of canals interconnected by arched bridges. It reminded her of pictures she'd seen of Venice, but everything was sleek and modern and clean. Despite being at the bottom of the ocean, the air was still crisp and fresh. The only clue that they were underwater was the muted hum in the background, like sh the sound she'd heard when she put a seashell to her ear. You guys build with crystals a lot, Sophie observed as she followed Alden into the city. Alden smiled. Crystal stores the energy we use to power everything, and it's cut to let precisely the right amount of light in. Of course, we had to make some changes when we moved Atlantis underwater. We plated the buildings with silver so they'd reflect the firelight we created in the spires to help illuminate the city. Why did you sink Atlantis and not the other cities? We built Atlantis for the humans. That's why you know the real name of the city. A long ago, time ago, humans walked these very streets. So if he looked around, elves wandered the shops looking young and elegant. The men wore heavy velvet capes like they belonged at a renaissance fair, and some of the women's gowns shifted color as they moved. Signs advertised two-for-one specials on bottled lightning or fast approval on spyball applications. A child strolled past with some sort of hybrid chicken lizard on a leash. No wonder humans invented crazy myths about after the elves disappeared. They reached the main canal, and Alden hailed one of the carriages floating along the water, a silver almond-shaped boat with two rows of high-backed benches. A driver in an elbow-length green cape steered from the front bench, drawing the range, reins of some sort of brown creature skimming the surface of the waves. Sophie shrieked as the eight-foot-long scorpion with deadly pincers reared against the reins, its tail curled up, looking ready to sting. What is that thing? It's a Eurypterid. Alden explained, a sea scorpion. You're not afraid, are you? Fitz asked. She moved further away. What is it with girls? Fitz leaned down and stroked the shiny brown shell along the urethrid's back. Sophie waited for the pincers to slice him in half, but the creature held still, emitting a low hissing sound, like it enjoyed being pettis, petted. See, harmless. Fitz jumped into the carriage. Alden followed, holding the door open for her. Gwynlin's waiting, Sophie. It's time to find out what's in that impenetrable mind of yours.